what's up everybody? This is the Legendary Tales. I'm your host Isadora, and in the room with me you have the legendary himself, Adam Bloor. The legendary himself. Used an adjective as a noun. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey guys. Hey y'all. Hi folks. How's it going? And today we are not doing anything that's even slightly related to each other because nope. I stuck with the topic. And per the cause. Fair. Uh-huh. To be fair, if I hadn't changed topics last week, we would be talking about nearly the same thing. Because last week you were going to do oracles, right? I think you were going to, or the fates or something. Okay. It was slightly related to what I was talking about. And then this week we would have, you would have done Rasputin and I'm doing who I'm talking about. Yeah. And then next week we would have done what you're talking about in telekinesis, which I think is what I'm talking about next week. And it all would have made sense, <laughs> except that for now it doesn't because I changed topics 14 days ago. Okay. So you followed all of that. I did not follow that logic, but either way, we are doing two very different topics today. They're not even close to being related. Nope. So no matchup here in any way or crossover. There wasn't any crossover last week either, really. There was a bit of crossover, wasn't there? Like An accident, I think. That's kind of what we do here. It's kind of like the six degrees to to Hitler. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? <laughs> is that the game? So there's this game that we used to play in university. Right, so I think six degrees of Kevin Bacon is what we yeah, used to play. So you go on Wikipedia and you click on a random Wikipedia. You go to Wikipedia okay. and click random page, and then you see how many hyperlinks it takes for you to click before you get to Hitler. Oh, whereas you see, I used to live and work in Los Angeles, where you would use IMDb mm. to see how many links you could take to get to Kevin Bacon. Can you pull up random IMDb pages on, like, can you just click, like... No, so you'd start with your, yours or someone else's oh, IMDb Oh, right, page. because, yes, right, of course. Yeah, because we, yeah, because I came from a life where we all were, had a, because I have an IMDb page. Yeah. Um, you start with yours or Ben's or whoever's IMDb page, yeah. and then you try and click through to see which one of you in the room gotcha. can get to Kevin Bacon that and see his links. That makes a lot more sense. I used to work, however, with Charlie McDowell. That seems, that seems like cheating. So he used to win that game, like, <laughs> Hands down every time. Oh, no, because actually my old business partner, Chris, also used to be an agent's assistant. <laughs> so he used to be able to get there. I was not good at well, that seems, I lost a lot. It seems like if you play it once, you're like, well, this is just like, unless I work on a job with Kevin Bacon, like uh, my odds of winning this game don't get much better. That assumes there are only two degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Uh, yes, obviously. But like. Because say you like randomly go and meet like so-and-so. Yeah. I know nothing about Kevin Bacon. He's an actor. He was in Footloose, right? He was in Footloose. Yeah. Because what show were we watching where they talk? Oh, we were watching Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it would be much more fun to do like we should just talk like six about six degrees of Keanu Reeves. That'd be good. He's, yeah, well, he's been on. He's been a. Uh, yeah. He's much cooler. Well, yeah, but like I think Kevin Bacon's just. I don't know why he. Why has, Kevin Bacon? I don't know why he has such a cult icon. Are we just going to talk about this for the next hour and a half? Can we please just talk about this for the next <laughs> hour and a half? Six degrees. Six degrees of James Spader. Six degrees to Adam Bloor. I win. <laughs> I did. I've won. <laughs> I am the subject of. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I just think that like I feel like that game would need to. The subject of that game would need to change every time you played it. Yeah, kinda. Because it's like, well, we're gonna play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You're like, oh, well, I know Chris is gonna win again. Like, what's the point of doing I don't, this? I honestly don't know where why Kevin Bacon was the one that. It, maybe it was a. It was probably because the inventor of the game was Kevin Bacon. <laughs> was Kevin Bacon. He's like, let's play six. And everyone's like, Kevin, this isn't fun. You are Kevin Bacon. Um, no, there's just like some people in LA that everybody seems to have worked with, worked with, or met. Like I went through the weirdest thing where I'd see David Spade everywhere. <laughs> You've told me about this book. In the past, it got like near predatory. <laughs> it got weird. I mean. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I saw him in a restaurant. He sat behind me in the movie in a cinema one day. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I passed him in the street. I was in Vegas. To be fair, he was doing a show in Vegas, and I saw him in Vegas. Yeah. Not at his show. Not at yeah. his show. Although I did then go to see his show because at this point I was like, well. Well, I guess we're married. So. I mean, obviously, <laughs> fate's to, trying to tell. To the fates are trying to tell I me have something. I to go support my husband. Fate's trying to tell me something <laughs> with this weird. I mean, we're talking all those, like, random pass-bys in. Yeah. In, 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 like, a couple of months. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Got weird for a minute. <laughs> I don't think he realized. Got weird. I let it go. Yeah. David, if you're listening to the podcast. Yeah. There was a period when you sat behind me in a cinema and it was really super weird for me. Please reach out. We'd love to have you on. Yeah. You can tell us your most legendary tale. <laughs> you can tell us six degrees to David Spade. Yeah. It's a really quick game when you play it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. I promise. Uh, all right. So you're up first. Yep. This so is, I'll put my this, notes down because I'm holding them like I'm about to. This is the Legendary Tales podcast. Wait, what? <laughs> Where this isn't just conversation time with Adam and Dora. And actually, when you are listening to this, um, Adam will be... In the north. In the north of England, possibly about 10 miles along Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, um, we plugged it in the last episode. Myself and Dora's husband, Ben, my cousin, are going out to hike Hadrian's Wall uh, in aid of Rowcroft Hospice and the Golf Foundation. The goal is to hike the length of the wall and play six golf courses on its length. Um, hashtag 100 miles, 100 holes. Follow that. Go to the UK Virgin Money Giving page backslash 100 miles, 100 holes. Donate if you can. If not, just share the page around. We're on Facebook, Instagram. But since we've been asking you guys to rate and review us for about 30 episodes now, and you've all failed to do it, I'm thinking that the chance of anyone following those instructions are slim, slim to, to none. none. But if you if you want to, please do. Cool. All right. Awesome. Tell me a tell. So I'm talking about Alexander. The Great? No, but he does come up in this. This is Alexander. Dumas? No, Alexander of Abba Notikus. Oh, that rolls off the tongue. It does, when you've read it as many times as I have. Okay. And The Cult of Glycon. It sounds like the Avengers movies are currently. Oh, uh, yeah, The Age of Ultron. Oh, my God, it <laughs> totally is. Of, yeah. It totally is. Uh, so Alexander um, is a bit of an interesting character. Not much is known about him in his younger days. He just sort of popped up one day. And was like, hey, I'm starting this new cult. And everyone was like, I'm on board with this cult now. You're going to say the same thing about me one day. <laughs> well, I mean, I was re actually, I, I'm, I'm going to be reading a bit of a treatise about this person. And reading it, I was like, Dora could have written this. Because, like. Because it's so appalling. Me. <laughs> no, it's actually very well written. That's, oh, okay. not, that's not the reason why I thought of you. It was not the prose or the grammar or the spelling. Because it, none of those it things. Was, it was the context and the content of the, of the writing. Oh, good. Right. So Alexander, he pops up in Abinatychus and says, hey, I'm starting this new cult and here's why I'm starting a cult. So he believed that he and his followers believed in the second coming of a Greek god known as Asclepius, Asclepius, uh, who is a hero god of medicine. All of his daughters are goddesses of well-being. Like the word hygiene comes from the name of one of his daughters. Hydra. Hygia, I think her name was. Oh, yeah. Uh, and his staff is the one that you see on, like, the Blue Cross. Oh, so okay. It's the staff with the snakes intertwined. Okay. So he's, like, a very big medicine-y guy. He's the son of... I've literally never heard of him, but I do know the you staff. You do know the staff, yeah. Uh, it was believed that he was blessed by a serpent who licked his ears and that he had the power to bring back to life because of this. So the Greeks are super into snakes. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, in antiquity, people were super into snakes. Um, they were seen to be, like, symbols of wisdom. Obviously, the, the shedding of the skin, they... Symbols of rebirth, mortality, death, blah, 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 blah. 
They're very, very, very common. So Asclepius attained godhood because Hades got super peeved because he kept bringing people back to life when he shouldn't have been able to. Okay. So Hades goes, hey, Zeus, I really don't like this guy. Can we get rid of him? So Zeus strikes him down with a lightning bolt, mm-hmm. kills him instantly. Apollo, Asclepius's father, says, right. Zeus, I'm not happy about this. So he kills the Cyclops who's making the thunderbolts for Zeus um, and is th- therefore banished from Olympus. He's, he's like taken from the Pantheon. And he's, oh. He has to go work in a field for a year or something. That's like his okay. punishment. And after the Cyclops is killed, Zeus sort of pardons Asclepius and gives him a constellation. So the constellation Ophiux is the serpent holder, and it's meant to be his constellation and that sort of Got that made him a snake god guy. The healing temples in Greece are named after him. This guy just sort of is like, he's the healing god. And he there's a, a very, when you hear about him sort of, it makes sense as to why people would want him to come back. Why this, mm-hmm. this cult would form okay. around him. The original Hippocratic Oath actually started with, I swear by Apollo the physician, and by Asclepius, and by Hygieia, and Panacea, and all by all the gods. Okay. Uh, just an important guy. Um... And so this cult sort of forms around okay. his second coming. Oh, I should have started with that first. Mm, shame. So Glycon was seen as a god of fertility. He was the second coming of Asclepius, but he's also sort of his own unique entity within this cult. He's his own unique identity. Yes, he's his own, his own unique entity. Uh, and the reason that he's sort of seen as the god of fertility is because Zeus impregnated Olympia not Olympia the mountain, but Olympia, Alexander the Great's mother, while he was disguised okay. as a snake. So, like, Alexander sort of has this legendary lineage that okay. is absolutely false. I think his father's name was Philip. Um, Zeus was obviously not him. My father's name is Philip. Oh, my God, and they're both such wonderful people. Um, I, like, I can't make any judgment on his Philip. That's true. Um, but To be fair, he rewrote his father as... As Zeus? As Zeus, yeah. so maybe... Maybe he wasn't that great. I mean, yeah. I think my, I'd rather my dad be Zeus than someone named Philip. From now on, my father is now Zeus. I think that's apt. I think that's oh. apt. Uh, Olympias was also supposedly involved in the cult of Dionysus, which was a really heavy snake cult. They would uh-huh. train snakes, um, and they would sleep in beds with people. They would apparently feed from the breast as a child would. Just really trained snakes. That comes back in a little bit with Alexander okay. a bit. So Alexander, he managed to attract a very large audience, uh, mostly of, like, I think it said a lot of very wealthy people would come to see him. A lot of women who were worried about having children. Uh And he claimed that Apollo's son would be found in the foundations of his temple. Okay. And it says that he he went to the, his temple was being built in Abonotychus, and he said... He said, hey, I'm going to go find Apollo's son. And he went and he dug up a goose egg. And when he cracked it open, a snake came out. And he said, look, it's Apollo's son. It's Apollo's son. And then he ran off again for a couple of days. And when he came back and the temple was built, because it ended up being built in like three days after he said this is Apollo's son. Okay. He had a full, fully grown snake and it wrapped itself around him and it had the head of a man. And it would give him, it would give him the oracle. He said, this is the god, this is Glycon. This is like who who you are praying to. This Alexander dude was wrapped in a snake with a human head. So yeah, he would he would sit on a throne, and right. a massive snake would would was winding itself around his, yeah. his like torso and over his shoulder, and over his shoulder on the snake's body was the head of a man. 
That's super creepy. Very creepy, right? It's like slightly Voldemorty, and um, way yeah. possible creepy. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I mean, obviously people were like, "Wow, this is this guy's a big deal. He's got like a yeah. proper god who he's taking orders from." So he gained a lot of political power, and his daughter ended up marrying some Roman governor. He was making tons of money doing this. So obviously he was obviously he was also garnering quite a bit of notoriety. Okay. And that's where we we now get to Lucian. Lucian was a a satirist. He was sort of like a Oh, okay. Yeah. Um a very a political writer. He would take on political not political, but religious stances, people who believe in superstition, things that he sort of found objectionable, and he wrote a 60-verse treatise on why Alexander of Abinotychus was an absolute charlatan. You're not going to read it all out to us. I'm going to read the whole thing. No, I'm not. I'm going to read you the bits that I found okay. quite funny. So obviously we come to this. So I read I, I read you my, my original bit of notes as if that I believed Alexander did actually have a snake with a human head on it. Yes. That was wrapped around his body and giving him orders. Right. There's a large level of skepticism when you read anything like that. Um, and for good reason, because it's absolutely not true. It was a big puppet. It was a big hand puppet. Was it really? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I will, I will. Oh, that's amazing. And I will, I will read a few. I was just thinking it was just total conjecture. No. Actually, it was a puppet, which is, which is almost. A puppet is better. Which is almost in a way, yes. I actually, so reading this, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Lucian in okay. this writing because he comes off as very petty. That someone had managed to be <laughs> successful by basically hey, ripping off a bunch of hey, people. Hey, wait! <laughs> didn't you start the beginning of this episode? No. By saying that no, it sounded like something I would say. No. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's not what I meant. And you just said you don't like him, and he comes <laughs> off as petty. So the bit, the bits where he comes, where he says like, where he says like, I'm very skeptical of this, and people who believe that oracles are morons and oracles are too like heavy-handed and overly oh you mean my stop being freaking cryptic yeah, say so, what you want quit, to quit say being so cryptic like yeah of course people are going to believe you if you say nothing because yeah. you're not saying anything i could just start that. making up cryptic maybe that's how i should open up legendary tales that's not a bad idea with we like, should with like a fire with like a, a bonfire noise in the background uh -huh, or like and a i'll boiling... just come up with some literal word salad <laughs> and you guys try and figure out what i mean if your name is jacob avoid the 30th eye yeah we should do no, that. No, that's that's more. That's too specific. That's too specific. Don't leave your house today. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. We should do that once. We should do that. If you are a creature born of a womb of a mother, <laughs> you can't even be that cryptic. Your your brain is too literal. You can't even do it on purpose. <laughs> okay, so next episode, I'm going to open up with a cryptic passage of prophecy uh, and foretelling of, of, of my own creation. Of my own creation. We should definitely do that. That'd be really good. I think. They make great T-shirts, and we could just record them all in one. We'll talk about this after because this is not the time to be talking. about <laughs> We'll just this. have a production meeting. <laughs> yeah. So for the next three hours, we're going to talk to you about how we're changing up the Legendary Tales podcast. All right. So Lucian writes this treatise, and he writes it for his friend. One of his friends is like, "Hey, I've heard about this guy Alexander. I think he's a total phony baloney. Could you please write some words on him?" I can't even get you to write a tweet. Oh, it's such a pain. <laughs> okay. Um. He starts by saying this, Lucian does, to his friend Celis. He says, I blush for both of us because you want to consummate a rascal perpetuated in memory, the exploits of a man who does not deserve to have polite people read about him, 
but rather to have the motley crowd in a vast amphitheater see him being torn to pieces by foxes or apes. So Lucian starts this out with, first of all, zero facts. This is this is a logical fallacy we call poisoning the well, where you undermine your subject before you even get to the topic of the paper. But it's just funny. Like, I love the way that the Greeks write things because it's so dramatic all the time. I just thought it was great. I really, really loved it. He then goes into going into Alexander's appearance. And he's very flattering. He says he was tall and mm-hmm. handsome in appearance and really godlike. His skin was fair, his beard not very thick, which I guess is a compliment. <laughs> his long hair was in part natural and part false, but very similar, so that most people did not detect that it was not his own. So I guess he must have worn extensions or something, <laughs> which is like not a very Greek thing, I don't think. I had no idea that the Greeks were into hagography. I don't know. <laughs> he then immediately does a 180 and starts talking about his personality, which he just takes an absolute dump on. But his soul and his mind, <laughs> may it be the fortune of our enemies and ill-wishers to encounter and have to do with the like of him. In understanding, quick-wittedness, and penetration, he was far beyond everyone else, and activity of mind, readiness to learn, retentiveness, and natural aptitude for studies, all these qualities were his, in every case to the full, but he made the worst possible use of them. <laughs> Basically saying he was a super smart, super smart guy. But Good like, looking. But Had half his own hair. Yeah, and was I don't know where the other half came from. And a thin beard. And a thin beard. Good thing it wasn't too thick. He says, imagine, please, and mentally configure a highly diversified soul blend, which I just love that. I don't know what a soul blend is. I know, I like That's it. That's beautiful. Made up of lying, trickery, perjury, and malice. Facile, audacious, venturesome, diligent in the execution of its schemes. Plausible, convincing, masking is good, and wearing an appearance absolutely opposite to its purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the word salad I was talking about <laughs> earlier. Yes. And he hasn't even started talking about the problems that he has with him <laughs> because of his actions. This is all just discrediting his character. So a lot of the, the things we know about Alexander from his youth, we get directly from Lucian. So we can. it's kind of hard to know whether or not they're, they're true. It is coming across like it might be a fraction bias. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so in verse 5, he says that he talked to someone who knew Alexander in his youth, doesn't name anybody, doesn't say when or where they knew Alexander. Wait, but did he, you name your sources? It was mostly Wikipedia and Lucian. This, okay. is, this is directly from Lucian. Okay. It's called the it's called Alexander the False Prophet, I believe, okay. in the treatise that he wrote. Um, in verse 5, he claims that Alexander trafficked freely in his attractiveness and sold his company to those who sought, sought it. So I'm assuming that he's insinuating that Alexander was like a sex worker in his youth. <laughs> and he says that due to his youthful attractiveness, that he managed to attract uh, another sort of snake oil salesman who found Alexander very attractive and sort of took him under his wing as a as a prodigy. That was the whole Greek thing, right? You took the pretty boy and you tilt the pretty boy because... Oh, yeah, because they were pretty. Because they were pretty? Yeah. That was like an actual, yeah. like, okay. legit Greek. That was a Greek thing to do. Yeah, then you would have sex with the pretty underage boy. Um, e- and e- <laughs> it was just what you did when you were Greek. Okay. Sorry. No, that's fine. I didn't know that. No. Sorry. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay, so, so this was a totally normal thing. And he says, As this man saw that he was an apt lad, more than ready to assist him in his affairs, and that the boy was quite as much enamored with his roguery as he with the boy's beauty. So this is where Alexander learns all of his shenanigans. Okay. It's from his So mother. they were, it, it was 
perhaps very much an inappropriate older yes. relationship with a younger person, yeah. but he was also getting his own. He was getting education. Yeah. So a few years go by, um, and Alexander's, what is it called? Mentor. His mentor dies. Okay. Uh, Lucian says that he dies just as Alexander was getting his beard. So very okay. focused on beards, this Lucian. So he sort of ingratiates himself to a man named Caconus. And they went about the country practicing quackery and sorcery and trimming of the fatheads, for so they style the public and the traditional patter of magicians. Okay. So if we call back to last episode, Greeks not super big fans of mag magicians because they were just sort of like the charlatans of the like the okay. div, like the oracle world, right? Yeah. Or magicians were quack doctors basically who would yeah sell you a load of fake, um, uh, a lot of fake. Why are words so hard today? Fake solutions, false solutions to problems. Okay. So Alexander and Caconis, remember I was talking about the cult of Dionysus. Yeah. So they go up that way, mm -hmm. and they there they saw great serpents, quite tame and gentle. Okay. And so they bought one. Okay. They bought they bought this big giant snake, and this is where they sort of hatched the idea. Yeah. For the cult of Glycon, according okay. to Lucian, at least. Big beautiful snake. They buy a big beautiful snake. And so they're, he, Alexander and Caconus are trying to figure out where to build this temple. And they decide to build it in Pathologia. Okay. Because that's apparently where all the rich, stupid people are. According to Alex and also to Lucian. Alex. Alexander. Alex. My best friend, Alex. <laughs> according to Alexander and Lucian. You and Alex are going to get a drink at the pub together later with oh, his God, big, I, beautiful snake. I would love to get, have a drink <laughs> with Alex and his big, beautiful snake. So they decide to build it in Pathologia. And Lucian says that those miserable pathologians knew that both of his parents were obscure, humble folk, but they believed he was an oracle anyway. So Lucian s believes that Alexander absolutely had one over on these people, but okay. also thinks that it was sort of their fault for being dumb and simple. Oh, that's where it's like me. Yeah, but yes, yeah, because they were believing... Words like this. Okay. Here in your sight is a scion of Perseus, dear unto Phoebus. This is divine Alexander who shareth the blood of the healer. Asclepius. That's who, which is Asclepius. Okay. So it's just like words like don't mean anything. Here's another one. Uh, he said, on the shores of the Euxine Sea in the neighborhood of Sinope, there shall be born by a tower in the days of the Romans a prophet. After the foremost unit and three times ten, he will shoe forth. Five more units besides and a score told three times over. Matching with places for the name of a valiant defender. Uh huh. Did you suss that out at all? Uh no. No. I no. I gotta be honest. I I stopped listening. No, honestly, that's what you would. That's what a reasonable person would okay. do. And according to Lucian, these people weren't reasonable. They just had a lot of money to throw around to okay. someone that they believed was an oracle because he was smarter than they were. Basically. Okay. So this is where they. This is where Lucian claims uh, my favorite part of this story. Okay. That, they, that Alexander and Caconus had long ago prepared and fitted up upon a, a serpent's head of linen, which had something of a human look, was all painted up and appeared very lifelike. This is this is okay. the, the puppet. It would open and close its mouth by means of horsehairs, and a forked black tongue like a snake's, also controlled by horsehairs, would dart out. So they, I mean, it was, I, I mean, it was kind of a feat. If this thing existed, and I've only yeah. I've only seen statues. Obviously, I don't think the puppet would have existed past like the point the snake died. Yeah. It would be. It wouldn't be easy to make a puppet head with a snake tongue that came out and convinced a load of people that it was an actual. Person's no, Jim head on Henderson a snake. would be proud. Jim Henson. Yeah. Did you say Henderson? I did say Henderson. That's fine. Shh. <laughs> 
All right, so he, they have the, the temple. I still don't believe that I could see a man with a snake and a puppet head on it and not. Well, you weren't. A, you weren't. You're not a pathologian, so that is probably to your benefit because you must. You if pathologian, you're, pathological. No path. Pathlog- no. Oh, it's Pathlogonian, sorry. Pathlogonian. Path, P-A-P-H. Okay, so I was wondering if it was the root of like the path- pathological. No. Well, maybe the beginning is, but no. Okay. So Lucian says this is where they come up. This is their ingenious ruse. Okay. This is the point at which Alexander says, the son of Apollo has been born under my temple. Going at night to the foundations of the temple, which were just being excavated, where a pool of water had gathered, which either issued from springs somewhere in the foundations themselves or had fallen from the sky... He secreted there a goose egg, previously blown, which contained a snake just born. And after burying it deep in the mud, he went back again in the morning. He ran out into the marketplace naked, wearing his loincloth, which was gilded in gold, carrying his falchion and tossing his unconfined mane like a devotee of the great mother in a frenzy, addressing the people from a high... In my mind, he just looks like Thor. Yeah, like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. I mean... I'm very Avengers-y on this one. Well, we've also been sort of inundated with, with, with Marvel media. That's true. Disney Plus. Addressing the people from a high altar upon which he had climbed, he congratulated the city because it was at once to receive the God in visible presence. Okay. So he is... So this gorgeous man with half his own hair <laughs> and a wispy beard... Wearing a gold loincloth. Wear, wearing a gold loincloth, ran through the market... Holding a snake. Holding an egg. And everyone said, oh my God, this is wonderful. Um, I've seen weirder things. Apollo has come again. I've seen weirder things. By the way, none of this would have worked if he wasn't attractive. Oh, no, absolutely not. That just sucks about the world, absolutely right? Absolutely not. None of this would have worked if he'd not been so, attractive. So then he buggers off Good. for a few days. Okay. For some days, he remained at home expecting what actually happened. That as the news spread, crowds of Paphlagonians would come running in. When the city had become overfull of people, all of them already bereft of their brains and sense, and not in the least like bread-eating humans, but different from beasts of the field only in their looks. Um, so he really is going in on these. That's some salve for those bones. On these, <laughs> on these people. Um, yeah, and they're like, we have to see this snake. And so they go to the temple, and this is when Alexander breaks out the puppet. Because <laughs> he's, he's sitting on a throne, and he has this very well-trained snake that's, like, as I described, I think it's coiling around his abdomen. And just over his shoulder is. And his nakedness. And his, his gold, little gold His gold loincloth and his falchion. Um, is a is a human head on us apparently on a snake and there's someone pulling the horse hair strings making it talk and okay and he just sort of keeps this up and Lucian says he's able to do this but we must excuse those men of Paphlagonia and Pontus thick witted uneducated fellows that they were <laughs> he's not doing giving himself any favors to those driveling idiots it was miraculous and almost as good as incredible. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, he's relentless. He's absolutely relentless. <laughs> this is the part that sounded like you. Okay. So people would go ask him oh, yeah. for oracles, obviously. And he said, Lucian says that Alexander gave responses that were sometimes obscure and ambiguous, sometimes downright unintelligible. <laughs> I was like, ah, yes, yes. I think I know someone who would agree with you. He did all these crazy things. He made predictions, discovered fugitive slaves, detected thieves and robbers, caused treasures to be dug up, healed the sick. And in some cases, had actually raised the dead. Okay, if he actually did that, no, no puppet snake is is as cool as as, cool as, the, as those things. He's yeah, actually but a, pu- done. But a puppet snake helps. A puppet snake Everything's helps. better with a puppet snake. <laughs> and he sort of managed to do this. Um, My new motto in life: through a very sort of clever, through a very clever method. 
where he would have people deliver their questions to him in, in wax sealed scrolls. And he would say, come back in a few days and I'll, I'll see you in the order at which you deliver. Okay, guys, I've got a better one. Mm. If you listen to this, we'll you, you, deliver, you deliver me your questions uh, on DM yeah. in Instagram. And we'll give you and an oracle. I will name. come up with an oracle prophecy for you. Okay? A very authentic one, which means you won't understand what it means at all. <laughs> Be really, really, I'll, I'll consult my books. I'll throw some bones <laughs> and I'll give you some words. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, he would have people deliver questions to him. and. And scrolls that were sealed with wax. And it said that he charged people by the scroll. So he charged one drachma and two opals. Guys, I'm not even going to charge you for the privilege. A drachma is 1,000 to one in U.S. dollars, which means you need 30 drachmas to make one U.S. dollar. <laughs> um, but he made like 80,000 drachma in one year at one point because he was because people would deliver like 15 scrolls at once. But Lucian says... The reason he, and then he would give the scrolls back with the answers written on the outside. Oh, yeah, and people right. were like, oh my God, this is amazing. How do you know what this is? Okay. Guys, if you send secured information in a wax sealed scroll and someone steals that information and uses it against you, there's no one that you can blame but yourself for that. Please don't tell me your social security numbers by <laughs> your DMs. <laughs> no, or in a wax sealed scroll because then everyone's going to have your social security number. Right. No, I just want vague ass questions that I can give <laughs> vague ass answers to. <laughs> um... Some people got a bit suspicious at this point. They were like, how could this, like, I mean, because you're, you're a popular oracle, you're going to catch some flack from some people. Yeah. So basically he started a smear campaign saying that Pontus was full of atheists and Christians and said, we must drive these people out of Abinatikus by throwing rocks at them. So he just sort of started a smear campaign back. No one needs to smear me for my oracleness. It is. It is absolutely, absolutely false. false. Absolutely false. But he still, Alexander managed to continue his political growth, and eventually a Roman senator whose name was Rutilianus. Rutilianus? Rutilianus is probably how it's called. Heard about him. So he was not in Italy at this point, but news of him had spread all the way into Italy and into Rome. Okay. And people were sending their their servants to get oracles from him. What year was this? 165 AD or something. Okay. So like... A ways away. Long time ago. I know, but I was trying to figure out if it was before or after the Romans started killing people that didn't believe in Jesus. No. Um, This is when they were killing people who did believe in Jesus. Yes. Okay. Yes, this was before they decided that Christianity was a good idea. Back when people with snake heads were the obvious... With a a puppet head. (laughs) Obviously the way forward. So Rutilianus uh, sends some emissaries out, people who Lucian describes as mere illiterate serving people who were easily deluded. I mean... Actually, that's more flattering than the other people. Yeah, the the, the idiots. Yeah. That these people just they couldn't read, so how would they know any yeah. better? But the other but the The other ones were drooling cows. They were just morons who <laughs> shouldn't be allowed to eat bread. So he sends his servants and he's getting these oracles and he's getting super, super excited. And so he goes to Alexander and he says, I want to marry somebody. How how do I who should I marry? And Alexander goes, mm, You should marry my daughter. God says you should marry my daughter. <laughs> And he goes, that's a great idea. And so he marries Alexander's There's no ulterior motives here at all. there is where Alexander sort of cements himself into power. And this goes on for like forever and ever. Like for, like for so long, Alexander, Alexander is managing to hold up this ruse. Um, I'm going to read you a couple more. Doesn't sound like he was up, a hell, up against a hell of a lot of uh, opposition. opposition. No, because Lucian didn't write this until after he was dead. Uh. So like he, he did, none of this stuff even came out until after like it, the damage had already been done, sort of. But it also doesn't sound like he, like, yes, he did rob, like hold, hold the sheep's wool over a few people. But like 
I don't know. People like didn't seem to really get hurt. So I'm sort of like, I don't, it's also, it was 165 80, so it doesn't affect me nearly in the slightest. It's not like he started a cult, yes. Yeah. But it's not like the cult where they got them all to drink suicidal poison. No, it wasn't Jim Jeffries and the, yeah. the Kool Aid. He did promise infallible aid. Uh, Rome at, at this point was going through a really horrible plague. And he said, put this message missive over some doors and it will protect the people inside. Okay. The saying was Phoebus, the God unshorn keepeth off plagues, nebulous onset, which is all in good fun, but they put it over the doors of houses that were already empty. So it was just like another thing. Lucian's like, this is obviously just like, this guy's just lying. Right. And that's sort of this, like I said, this goes on for, for verses and verses. And I don't want to continue on any longer because it's just a lot of information. But if you guys want to go read it, it's like funny and well-written looking at it now in this context. Verse 59, which is the like penultimate verse in this treatise, is concerns the death of Alexander, which Lucian throws a very ironic spin on, because in spite of his prediction in an article that he was fated to live 150 years and then die by a stroke of lightning, he met a most wretched end before reaching the age of 70 in a manner that befitted a son of Hodelirius, who I'm assuming was just some other charlatan. Yeah. Another Philip. For his leg became mortified quite to the groin and was infested with maggots. It was then that his baldness was detected when, because of the pain, he let the doctors ferment his head, which they could not have done unless his wig had been removed. And that's how Alexander died. And nice. he died in, in a very, very ironic twist of fate that revealed him sort of to be the... Old. The bold and not actually an oracle. But also, like, I would never be stupid enough to say that I was going to live to 150. Yeah, that does seem... Especially in an age where people were dying because they broke their legs. I feel like 70 was still a good ripe old age. 70 is old for the Greeks. Yeah. So I'm, I think, I'm like, thinking... I think like 20 was middle-aged Yeah. during that time period. I'm thinking 70, he did fine. He should have just been all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. But that was that's Alexander of Abinitsychus. Sweet. He was really inspiring to me. And his snake puppet. <laughs> It's a really inspiring figure. I like, I like, I like the story. I was expecting to come away from it and be like, ah, but like, it's, again, it was like so long ago and Lucian comes off like such a brat in, in the writing that I'm just like, nah, I'm team Alexander. I'm me all. too, even though you cost me as being team Lucian. Well, I mean, you would, you would have written the, like, the oracles are too ambiguous and, and big worded. Like, don't believe them. Big worded. <laughs> Be more smarter. <laughs> Be smarter with your big worded. <laughs> All right. So I am doing human combustion, which I've been telling you I'm going to do for like. You've been weeks. telling me for like three weeks. And I'm actually doing it. So that's. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, at least one person follows through on what they're going to say on this podcast. Yeah, I have to admit, I nearly changed my mind. You were not super stoked yesterday. No. And I still don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. Really? And that's because I just can't wrap my head around how I like, what you mean you don't know how you feel about it in terms of believing it or in terms of, like, being interested in it? Um. Oh, in believing it? I think there's, like, very little uh, in believing it, I don't believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I do anyway. Okay. Um, although I believe in it. I don't not believe in it less than I don't believe in other stuff. Right, carry on. <laughs> 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 Wait, like, what? <laughs> I don't not you so you do believe in it less than you believe in other stuff. No, I believe in it as much more as you, than you believe in other stuff. Than I believe in some of the other stuff that we've done on gotcha. this podcast. Okay. Very cool. 
like the unicorns or dragons. Oh, right. I was going to talk about snakes. We, That's fine. You did. No, I was going to talk about more snakes. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah. All right. So let me tell you about Maybelle Andrews. That's my aunt. Maybelle Andrews. <laughs> Where's she from? Maybelle Andrews is actually from London. Oh. Um, and I'm going to tell you about her, her mysterious, the mysterious death of Maybelle Andrews. Okay. As written about by a man named Eric Frank Russell, who wrote a book uh, in 1957, and he told the tale of Maybelle Andrews, who was who died in the early 1950s, I believe, September 20th. Um, her and her fiance Billy Clifford. She was a 19-year-old typist, and her fiance Billy Clifford went to a dance hall in Soho, one of London's night spots mm. in the 1950s, um, and couple where couples glided around the dance floor, others chatted and sipped soft drinks. Jeez. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and she was dancing around this dance floor when she burst into intense blue flames <laughs> in the midst of this crowded dance it's floor. It's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> she went, apparently roared like a blowtorch and no man could save her. They finally did manage to extinguish the fire using hands and a top coat, mm -hmm. but she was ashes and unrecognizable as a human being. And there's this whole story about how Billy went to the hearing and he had burnt hands from trying to put the fire out mm -hmm. and there were no cigarettes in the building and yeah. no obvious cause of flames mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And it's quite a sad story. It's gruesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's these, there's a painting of it and I didn't look up who did the painting, but whenever you look up Maybelle Andrews, who by the way, always sounds to me like she should be in some Southern. Just Southern Bell. Southern Bell. Um, whenever you, there's a painting of her, I'm sure I'll use it as the, Thumbnail or as the, a cover, the cover of, art, um, of her going up in these blue flames in the oh. middle of a 1950s dance hall. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And they really couldn't find any reason for why she suddenly burst into flames mm -hmm. in the middle of a dance floor. That's mostly because she never existed. Um, it's not a real story. <laughs> no, it's not a real story. Although it was reported on as being a real story a lot. Okay. Uh, even up until the 90s. Okay. But... I read quite a lot on this website called Skeptis Skepticist. Skepticist? No, Skepsis. Skepsis. That's cool. S K E P S I S dot N L. Netherlands? I guess so. Written by a man named Jan Ninehouse. Okay. Yeah. Sounds um, Netherlandy. And I guess actually what his website does is debunk a lot of the stuff. Okay. He seems to have done a hell of a lot of research mm. in Mabel Andrews. So I'm now going to paraphrase it and pretend like I am as dedicated to my job as he is to his. So he did a whole load of research, and there, there literally was no evidence. Evidence. No Mabel Andrew. No. Um, and I tried to get hold. By the way, Russell's book was called World's Greatest Mysteries, and it was published in 1957. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a like another couple of uh, someone named Eckhart wrote an article on it, an American writer in 1964. Um, but none of them could provide sources or anything like that. Okay. So this guy, Jan, went back to 
kind of the beginning and looked at coroner's reports. Okay. Um, so he realised that no one called Mabel Andrews died in or near London between 1938 up to the end of the 1950s. Certainly not unexplainedly bursting into fame. Bursting into fame. So what he concluded is that the person that was actually burst into flame was a woman named Phyllis. Okay. And Phyllis is um, Phyllis Newcomb. She was age 22, and she ran a confectionery store, which oh. was owned by her father. That's sweet. And her fiancé was a guy named Henry McAuslin, okay. who was apparently turned into Billy Clifford and Mabel and Andrews. So that was the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'm going to tell you the very real story of now I'm going to tell you the very real story of Phyllis. So in 1938, August of 1938, the Chelmsford City Football Club played its first match. And they decided to organize a dance party for the occasion at Shires Hall. Phyllis attended with her beau. <laughs> and she apparently had attended in a her favorite dress, and it was resembled a crinoline, blowing, billowing out and sweeping the floor and was made of white tulle with satin underneath and a dark blue waist sash. Um, there were 400 attendees there. At the end of the night, they decided to hang out a little bit after the night had ended and let everybody rush out, and they stayed. Mm-hmm. And after most of the people left, they were walking out. Mac, which is what her fiancé was known as, was walking a few paces in front of her, and when he reached the staircase, the bottom uh, to walk down the staircase, and I guess the ballroom must have been on first floor or second floor, depending mm. on whether you're British or American. He heard a scream and turned around, and she was in flames. Okay. She turned around and ran back up the staircase into the ballroom, mm-hmm. where twenty people were still in the ballroom. They saw her stumble inside, all ablaze, and collapse in the middle of the ballroom. One of the CCFC's directors. And five others rushed to her rescue, wrapping her in coats, and they all ended up with singed eyebrows and cheeks and things like that. They called an ambulance. It took 20 minutes to arrive. And she was taken to Chelmsford Hospital, where she had obviously been found to be suffering major burns all over her body. However, they did think she was going to survive. Um, they managed to get her to hospital. Unfortunately, her, the wounds became septic. She mm. got ni- uh, pneumonia, and it wasn't very much later that she died. Uh, that was the very real death. Mm-hmm. Where they kind of come back a bit together is actually how the fire started. Okay. Okay. And this is probably where I, I mean, I like this story from the point of view of you've got a real story terrified by newspaper articles and things like that mm-hmm. and coroner's inquests. And then you have a fake legend, which is a very well known legend if you're into human combustion. That a fake. I don't know if you can be into human combustion, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can kind of see the parallels between the two mm. and how the legend developed and yeah. changed, which is pretty cool yeah. from the point of view of what we're doing on this yeah, podcast. Exactly. But so they decided to, they obviously had to do an inquest onto how she died. So the first conjecture was that as she'd come down the staircase, someone at the top of the stairs had either thrown a f- cigarette or a match mm-hmm. over the edge of the staircase and it had landed on her dress and set her dress alight. Okay. Her father think yeah george had actually done a whole load of experiments with this with some tool to try and see whether it was possible and he found that a falling cigarette it uh the ash of a falling cigarette or a falling cigarette would not be enough it have to be open flame it would actually have to be open flame 
and that if a match had fallen from that height, it would have gone out. It would have gone out. So the next thing that they were working on is the idea that she had grazed contact with her, that someone in front of her had dropped a match on the ground, mm-hmm. and they worked out that it would have to have been someone five strides in front of her. Um, or up, no more than five mm-hmm. strides in front of her would have been able to drop a cigarette, uh, a match on the ground because the ground was, I guess, a rubber, so it would have been soft enough that the match wouldn't have burnt out too okay. quickly. And then she could have walked over the top and potentially then would have okay. It would have caught the hem of her dress and did it like they tried to actually that was in theory what had happened, but actually every time they tried to replicate it, mm-hmm. they could never get that result. The only thing that they could think of is that her dress had acquired extra combustibility because it had gone to the dry cleaners, you know, uh, gone to a cleaner six weeks earlier. Hmm. And that maybe some one of the chemicals that had been used to clean her dress. Okay. They, but the coroner said that they didn't believe that theory. Okay. So they really, and and they never found any evidence of a match. But then you're talking a f- girl on fire ran back into a ballroom. You got to assume that the crime scene was yeah, not yeah. crime scene, but the accident scene was compromised. Mm-hmm. And they never found a cigarette, which they would have more likely found than a match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. So the only thing I will say to the – so it is really a mystery. Yeah. Like the very real mystery of how her dress caught fire is – It is a real – yeah. It is a real mystery. But I don't think anyone believes it was internal human combustion. Mm, probably not. Versus – A match. Or, a, or Versus something caught her dress on fire. Yeah. And then she burnt. Yeah. Apparently, her sister or uh, Mac asked if she knew who was the careless devil that might have thrown the cigarette end. And she answered, what does it matter as long as I get right again? So the other theory is that she actually knows who dropped the match or threw the cigarette, but she was a very sweet, lovely girl and would never have blamed anybody Mm. for it, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly since for a long while they thought she was going to be fine. Okay. So she didn't. Yeah, yeah. She didn't. Yeah. So, to me, that's kind of the most interesting human combustion story I found. Yeah. Because it's kind of got everything. It's got a potential crime. Mm-hmm. I'm air quoting that. Sorry. Um, it's a podcast. You can't see me air quote. <laughs> potential crime. Uh, there's a mystery to it. You yeah. can see how the legend developed. So, that was pretty cool. Now, I'm going to talk to you about real human combustion. You, know, so, you can't hear it because you can't hear when people roll their eyes, but her eyes almost rolled out of her head when she said real human combustion. Yeah. Um, and you found the idea so boring you yawned. Yes. I'm um, very tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the recorded cases have some things in common. Okay. Pretty much all the victims are uh, chronic alcoholics. Okay. Oh, yes. I know where this is going. <laughs> They're usually elderly females. Uh-huh. The hands and feet are usually remain. Mostly the feet remain. What? Yeah. I will say one of the creepiest things about human combustion yeah. is if you find photos of it. Is it just feet? Usually it's like lower leg and foot. Ew. That's all that remains. And it is really weird because that does seem to be like. It's because fire burns up. Ah, oh, yes, it does. And interesting, you should mention that because one of the other things is. The fires caused very little damage outside of the person 
Yeah, because it would burn through the organic or whatever. And then, yeah, and then it would just stop. So that was, you know, one of the things is that very fire, as humans, we often think of fire as being engulfing yeah. a house or something. Mm. But actually, it doesn't necessarily do that. It can just burn itself out. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and also the combustion of the body has left a residue of greasy ashes that are usually very offensive in odor. Yeah, I imagine they would be. Yeah. So a lot of my information from this point, like I said, I, that whole first bit came from skepsis. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm, now I'm looking at livescience.com, osu.edu, written article by someone called Lash.80. Okay. Uh, the Mirror. Mm. I think I read some articles on the sun, but I couldn't bring myself to quote them. Uh, <laughs> so those are my sources for the next bit. Okay. So typically fires don't start on their own. Like that's just a fairly normal thing. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't because coal dust, piles of compost, oily rags, things like that can actually combust. Yes. And now I have horses and I've seen fire, like I've seen muck heaps catch on fire. Mm -hmm. Because as organic matter decays, it gets very, very hot mm -hmm. under the right circumstances, and it can actually become well, especially when it's a situation where it's just horse muck, which is yeah, which is as you yeah, have, it's just dry hay yeah, and decomposing hay yeah. So it's not like combustion, spontaneous combustion, isn't a thing. Yeah, like scientifically. It absolutely is a thing. Things can spontaneously combust. Mm -hmm. But there's not that many things that spontaneously yeah. combust. I think the word spontaneous as well implies uh, an activity from any source. Mm -hmm. Like, so obviously, like, the muck heap catching on fire isn't necessarily, like, it's spontaneous in the sense that, like... You didn't you light didn't, it. You didn't intentionally light it. But it's not spontaneous in the sense that, like, nothing... In the sense that it's completely free of an action that would cause it to catch on fire. Yeah. So I'm going to give you some of the older ideas as to how spontane uh, spontaneous human combustion. Pockets full of horse muck. Yeah, that's what they were doing. They're just sitting on large piles of horse muck. So obviously, it was God's fault. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think the earliest example of human combustion Isn't or written is in 1641, where a knight had enjoyed a few glasses of strong wine with his parents. He was called Polnius Votarius, and he burped fire, succumbing to the flame and dying. Oh, my God. It's God's fault. So kind of this period, we're thinking it's God's fault. Yeah. There's kind of an evolution here um, as to what human combustion is mm. that really follows kind of scientific principles generally. generally. Okay. So it was basically blamed on God's wrath. Cool. They were believed mostly to be drunkards, immoral people who had saturated their bodies with alcohol, and in punishment, God had set them alight, literally burning in the fires of hell. Tra tracks. Uh huh. So if he died in the like the pre nineteen hundreds, mm. probably it was God's fault. <laughs> Get a little later, and. In the 70s, there was a quasi-Freudian explanation where people's depressive emotional states could somehow 
cause people to become inflamed. Okay. Okay. I don't really know because I would have thought it would have been like anger. Yeah. would have been the emotional state. But also, if you look at the kind of person that generally... Drunk old women. Drunk old women. Mm. It might track to the average observer that they might be depressed. Yeah. So uh, along this point, it, they also thought it could be like vibrational energy. Okay. In 1995, a guy named Larry E. Arnold proposed a pseudoscientific new subatomic particle, which he called... M's particle. Pyroton, mm. which could, along with things like alcohol in the blood, pretty much everyone goes with, you had to be a drunk. Okay. Like, that seems to be a universal, which is why also Phyllis and Mabel don't really fit. Okay. Because they didn't have any... Yeah. There was no drinking at the at the ball at the ball mm -hmm. and 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 these were 19 20 year old girls they weren't these were not like they weren't old long term alcoholics yeah. where according to Jesus you can saturate yourselves with fire uh, with alcohol <laughs> um according to Jesus and he proposed anyway sorry getting back to Larry Arnold he proposed that extreme stress could be the trigger mm -hmm. and the process may use no external oxygen to spread through the body since it may not be an oxidization reduction reaction. However, no reaction me mechanism has ever been proposed. Um, obviously, he's been highly criticized. Um, well, not, I mean, you know. Obviously. Obviously, he's been highly criticized. <laughs> um, and then the last one that was floating around kind of pre-2000s was poltergeist activity. Okay. So in 1976, in his book, Fire from Heaven, Michael Harrison suggested that... The force which activates the poltergeist originates in and is supplied by a human being. And basically that you have an internal... I Okay, I may... I'm really sorry if I... Mr. Harrison, if I got the wrong end of the stick. But I think the idea is that you have an internal poltergeist who like literally like... I bet, he received, from the bet he received no criticism for that. You know what? Funnily enough, uh, Ari E. Arnold, I have researched, Joe Nickel was one of his biggest critic critics. Mm. No instances of critics on Michael Harrison. Mm. I think people didn't feel like he really even needed to be criticizing, criticizing on that one. Criticalizing. Criticalizing. Um, so assuming we're going to assume that these people weren't purified by fire mm -hmm. or that their depression didn't cause them to burst into flame, there are a lot of logical reasons for why people would spontaneously combust. I've got to, we've got to have a code massive, word for massive air quotes. Code word for air quotes in this. Um, pulling from one of the sources, for example, a case set in the 18th century involved an innkeeper who murdered his wife and then burned the remains in the inn's chimney. Following an investigation, a coroner, obviously oblivious to the innkeeper's homicidal act claimed that the woman's death was a direct result of spontaneous human combustion. Taping it a step further, he also claimed that the fireplace was of some undisclosed divine origin and that it had come to punish the wife for her overzealous consumption of alcohol. Hmm. Okay. So. Don't but, be a lady and don't drink if you're a lady. Uh-huh. But I think now we know that the innkeeper stuffed his wife's body in a fire, and that's a much more logical explanation as to why she ended up burnt in a chimney. Yes. So 
I will say that the one thing that seems to come across a lot in this, and we'll get into it in a minute, is the idea of blue flame. Yeah. Like the fake Maybelline Andrews went up in a blue flame. Mm -hmm. And there's another story I read about someone who breathed blue flame fire before she went up in smoke. Um, I'm going to talk to you about uh, Risa, who was another woman. Um, unfortunately, it's a lot of women. Who in 1951 was found by her landlady, and she was laying. She's a. Uh, the reason I'm using her, she's a very typical case. So Maybelline Andrews was like a very non-typical case, mm. and also not real. Whereas she's <laughs> a much more typical case. Um, and her landlady went inside and found her remains, which were pretty much ashes, except for her feet. Feet, where even one of her slipper, one of her feet, still had a slipper on it, Ugh. and her skull. Okay. Uh-huh. And that was all that was remained, except her skull had shrunk to the size of a teacup. What? Apparently, not a regular feature of spontaneous human combustion, but also not the only time it's been mentioned okay. in spontaneous human combustion. For sure it was her. I couldn't find any evidence of any of these other mentions of a small skull. Okay. So who knows? Uh, they sent off the objects and the things that were left to J. Edgar Hoover, who was at that time director okay. of the FBI, yeah. and they asked him for his opinion on it, and they proposed what they call the wick effect. Okay. Um, they basically said she was sitting by a fire. By the way, almost every single one of cases of human combustion, and there are lots of them, right? Mm -hmm. Reported ones. The person was a smoker or sitting next to a fire. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when you don't find evidence of a cigarette on a fully cremated body, it must be spontaneous. It doesn't mean that it yeah. <laughs> spontaneously combusts. Right. Um, anyway, so what is the wick effect? Because this is something that comes up time and time again. So the wick effect is basically the idea that the fat in the human body acts like a candle wax. Okay. So you get a tiny little bit of flame on you, cigarette, spark from a thing, and it starts on your clothes, mm -hmm. but basically the combustion, it acts as a wick, mm -hmm. so it very slowly burns you. Okay. So it's not like... So it doesn't get hot enough to destroy the stuff to, to catch on other things. So it doesn't get hot, yeah, and also so that... Most of these people, they reckon, passed out or took sleeping pills or whatever, so that by the time they were on, realized they were on fire, it was basically they were dead. Mm -hmm. Enable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and the protein also burns. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons why it stops at the feet is because there's way less fat on the feet, mm -hmm. so it doesn't burn as quick well down there. Yeah. And it would, if you put your hands out to your sides, it would also stop your hands, but most people, when they fall asleep, their hands are on their body, mm -hmm. often their stomach or their legs, yeah. which are full of fat, and so therefore that's enough. Okay. Yeah. Kind of whatever to... Burn them. To burn them. In 1998, they actually did a large-scale experiment of this with a dead pig, because we all know that dead pigs have the same roughly fat-to-muscle ratio as a person, mm. similar skeleton density. And the blanket was lit with the aid of a small amount of petrol. The body took some time to ignite, but it burned at a very high temperature with very low flames. Okay. The heat collected at the top of the room and melted a nearby television, 
However, the flames caused very little damage to the surrounding, and the body burned for a number of hours before it was fully extinguished. On examination, it was observed that the flesh and bones in the burnt portions had been completely destroyed. So again, we now know how, I mean, I think the wick effect is not like, this is not like a scientific theory. Mm-hmm. It's a very real thing. We know how yeah. the body burned. It's the source of ignition that I guess is the is that question always the question. Yeah, the first death to actually put, be put down to spontaneous human combustion was only in two thousand and ten, mm. when Michael O'Farity, guess where he's from? Scotland, Ireland. Ireland. Who was a seventy-six-year-old man was burned to death in Galway. He same as all of these people. They knock, they don't find anyone, they walk inside, there's a person sitting on a chair that's basically all the left of them's their feet, a whole load of ash, and not much, no evidence of foul play, like no evidence of people breaking in, or he was again sat next to a fire, although the fire wasn't lit. Okay. Postmortem carried out, said he had type 2 diabetes and hypertension, but he had not died of heart failure, he had actually as far as they can figure out, he had actually died of burning. Okay. So, because a lot of them, they also find that when, that probably what happened is they were smoking a cigarette, had a heart attack, died, dropped the cigarette on themselves, and then okay. burnt. But yeah. then obviously they're so thoroughly burnt. You can't really tell. You can't really tell. So I'm not sure how they could tell in this instance. Okay. Because. Does, does it say that how much of his body was left or? Um. You said a pile of ash, right? Someone... Yeah. It, I, he doesn't say... it. Actually, they said here his head was facing something. So they must have found a head. Mm. But after a lot of different testings, and the coroner subsequently made a statement to an inquiry, the fire was thoroughly investigated, and I am left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate adequate explanation okay obviously people don't agree they think that there must have absolutely been a source of ignition for him to have burnt up and then the ignition and then that source of ignition was subsequently destroyed so subsequently destroyed okay so now we're gonna just kind of i'm gonna wrap it up with my basic feelings on it okay okay which are there is there's 7 billion people in the world, and never has anyone been caught spontaneously combusting on videotape. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, odds are not in favor of spontaneous. Every once in a while, they've been... So I will say, I read an article in... Oh, this might have been the one, and it was in the sun. Um, Damn it. <laughs> that, or it was, in, it was in some newspaper where I was like, oh, I don't know that I can even... <laughs> of a U.S. Navy pilot okay. who says that he caught on fire spontaneously. And he was with a friend, and the friend managed to help him put it out. Okay. And he seemed like a, a source's go, a Fine. reasonably credible source. But there was another contradictory thing that said all that had happened is he'd somehow been scalded with bol- boiling water. Mm. So Not the same. Not the same. You would think it would look different, too. Yeah. Um, so there are two more scientific things going on right now one is a rare condition called mast cell activation syndrome that lawrence afrin is proposing and 
mast cell spontaneous. Okay, guys, I'm reading from this because my science and my biology does not mean that I can extrapolate my own information out of this, guys, what I'm sure is pseudoscience. Mast cells spontaneously release over 200 inflammatory molecules known as mediators, including the substance noradrenaline. And Afrin describes the case report of a man with MCAS who grew ill and appeared to smoke in the presence of several witnesses. The idea being the release of this stuff could turn on a regulatory protein called UCP-1 in greater than normal amounts. Ah, yes. Uh Uh-huh. And it causes adiposity oxidization to be released as heat. Um, Under the right circumstances, a sudden flood of nephrine released from the adipose mast cells could activate the UCP-1 switch and cause the heat generation in excess of 90 degrees Celsius. Once, in theory, you reach that point, the wick effect would come into effect and you would burn yourself out. Oh. I (laughs) don't know enough about science to understand... Most of that. Most of that. So if you do, let me know. There's another one called a British chemist called Dr. John Emsley, who suggests that the case of spontaneous human combustion could be the result of an overproductive biophoric liquid dissipate in the gut. And he postulates that the self-combustion of dissipate would also result in the ignition of hydrogen and methane gases in the gut, which would explain why witnessed cases where blue flames were seen to um, originate from the abdomen, because methane burns with a pale blue flame. So, he seemed, I'm finishing with the one that, to me... Makes more sense. Makes the most sense. If you have to pick one. If I have to pick one. Um, okay. So there's a lot of things as to... There's so many different theories to this. Mm. Um, I read somewhere that ketosis... Really? Apparently could be a theory behind it. But a lot of the, what I can tell, most credible... Again, massive air quotes. <sighs> the largest... Credible theories for human combustion come from this idea of it's something to do with the guts producing gases. Mm. Um, and they self-ignite. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you about cows. Cows. Cows produce huge amounts of methane. They have like 18 stomachs. Because they have like 18 stomachs. And no one has ever looked out a field of cows to find one spontaneously combusting. Yeah, farmers don't really pay a lot of attention to cows though so there's no way that a farmer would ever notice one of their cows on fire no <laughs> that's a good point no so my point being is that with all the even if we include even if we think it's the most incredibly rare phenomena yeah and even if of the i don't know two three hundred cases that seem credible mm. were real you would think that it would happen in other species yeah because if it is purely a scientific thing, it would happen... So much more often. So much more often in other species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially something like cows. Yeah, or really any... I mean, no animal. I looked it up. No animal. There's never been an instance of an animal spontaneously combusting. <laughs> right. So... So if you're one of those people whose anxiety about spontaneously combusting keeps you up at night... Don't? <laughs> no, I really don't think it's real. But scientifically, like I said, it's probably more real than unicorns. No, I hope not. But in other words, there's more credible you people that have written about unicorns and spontaneous human combustion. True that. So take what you will from it. 
like I said, I didn't find the topic itself very interesting. Yeah. Because to me, it, it's just one of those things. Like when you read about it, it's it, you. It's almost like disproven to the point where it, you're like, why am I bothering to read about this? Yeah. Because you're like, like I'm not going to change my mind or, no. or or become more interested in the topic no. because I read about how fake it is. No, it's not even good hoaxes. This yeah. isn't like someone's put in some time like our Nessie episode. Yeah. Where, by the way, great. Good episode. Good hoaxes, though. Good hoax. Um, or Alexander's big snake puppet. Oh, we did it. We brought it back around. Yeah, we brought it back around. We made a connection. So you can stuff it. Um, <laughs> all of our... All of our Episodes have tie-ins to each other. Yeah, there you go. Adams has a really good uh, hoax, and this has not even got a small hoax. Not even a hoax. So it does seem like most of these people get drunk. Fall asleep with a lit cigarette. Fall asleep with a lit cigarette, take some sleeping pills, fall next to a fire without yeah. a fire guard, and very unfortunately lose their lives. Yeah. So if you're going to take anything away from this, take how a story of Phyllis, who... Unfortunately, her flammable dress caught fire. Yeah, don't wear acrylic ever. Crinoline. Yeah. yeah. She, she wasn't wearing acrylic. It's the same thing, isn't it? Isn't it plastic based material? She was wearing a chiffon and silk. Don't wear don't wear clothes. Yeah, go naked. <laughs> um they'll burn you alive. But you know, if anything if you're gonna take anything away from my spontaneous human combustion, take away how a legend evolves. Yeah. Because I love the story of Mabel and Andrews, and well, not. I mean, I love it because no one actually got hurt in her story. Well, except for Mabel, except for Phyllis. Phyllis. Um, but it's an amazing idea as to how a legend develops. Mm. I heard one of, I'm sure it was the Skepsis people, mentioned that one of them had sourced, one of the writers had sourced a newspaper article, but never mentioned the newspaper article yeah. what it was, and it, and they'd all researched from each other's research and sourced each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just a, a good example of how legends are created. For sure. Um, not as funny as your snake puppet. I love a snake puppet. All right. Well, that is us for today. Unless yeah. you got anything to add. No, that was it. We're good. We're you good. You want to talk about snakes again? No. Um, I was going to mention snakes in other, in other cultures, but like I just don't want to now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I it, it wasn't super in depth. I basically I my point was basically that like snakes are snakes like dragons are in every culture. Yeah, aren't they also in like every country? Yeah, so, except yeah. Thailand. The Irish. Wait, hold on. The Irish. There's an Irish legend about them ridding the country of snakes, which makes me assume that the Irish don't have snakes. Where are the Celts in Scotland? Scotland. Okay, well then, yeah. So no, Ireland doesn't have one. But the Celtics, the Celtics, the Celtic people would use snakes and badgers like we use groundhogs in America. Oh. To predict the weather. Cool. But they're not the Irish. No. They're the Scottish. Yeah. So no snakes in Ireland. No snakes if in Ireland. If you don't like snakes. Go to Ireland. Go to Ireland. Why does it always have to be snakes? I don't, I don't know. What is that a reference to? Really? Yeah. That's a quote from Indiana Jones. Oh, I've only ever seen that movie not many times. Okay, and on that bombshell... Aren't they all on... Uh, oh, wait, I think Lucian just insulted... I'm going to have to read that whole thing. Um, didn't um, Disney... Doesn't Disney own Indiana Jones? I yeah. don't know. You could watch them if they do. Yeah. Okay, on, well... On that bombshell... Have a good week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>